you have to pay that preferred return. And then after that, those remaining profits will get split. But again, the process is whatever you have outlined in the operating agreement, the PPM with your investors. Real quick, before the episode, I want to give you a gift of 25% off. And that gift actually is from TransUnion Smart Move. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. Because as landlords, we tend to be most concerned with getting paid on time. You might also know that hundreds of thousands of landlords have to deal with the headaches of evicting tenants each year. Evicting a tenant can be painful, costing as much as $10,000 in court costs and legal fees, and take as long as four weeks to complete. What if there's a trusted way to help prevent the headaches of dealing with evicting a tenant? Make the smart move right from the start. Smart Move's online tenant screening solution can help you quickly understand if you're getting a reliable tenant, which will help you avoid potential problems such as non-payment and evictions. For a limited time, listeners of this podcast are invited to try Smart Move tenant screening for 25% off. Here's how Smart Move can help you find your next great tenant. Make a more informed decision with Smart Move's proprietary credit score built specifically for tenant screening, which predicts evictions 15% better than a typical credit score. Reduce non-payment risk with Smart Move's Income Insights Report, which enables you to analyze the applicant's income within minutes and determine if additional income verification is needed. Get critical information quickly with a full credit report, criminal background, and eviction history report. With over 5 million screenings completed, SmartMove can help you make a better leasing decision for your rental property. If you own a rental property, SmartMove can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. There needed to be a resource on apartment syndication that not only talked about each aspect of the syndication process, but how to actually do each of the things and go into it in detail. And we thought, hey, why not make it free too? That's why we launched Syndication School, and Theo Hicks will go through a particular aspect of apartment syndication on today's episode and get into the details of how to do that particular thing. Enjoy this episode, and for more on apartment syndication and how to do things, go to apartmentsyndication.com or to learn more about the Apartment Syndication School, Go to syndicationschool.com so you can listen to all the previous episodes. Hi, best of your listeners. Welcome back to another episode of the Syndication School series, a free resource focused on the how-tos of apartment syndication. As always, I am your host, Theo Hicks. Each week, we air two podcast episodes. Now, they're also in video form as well on YouTube that are part of a larger podcast or video series that focus on a specific aspect of the apartment syndication investment strategy. And for all of these series, we offer some sort of PDF document, an Excel template, a PowerPoint presentation template, some sort of resource for you to download for free. All of these free documents, as well as past and future syndication school series, can be found at syndicationschool.com. This week and this episode is going to be a continuation of a series entitled How to Asset Manage a Newly Acquired Apartment Syndication Deal. This is part nine. This is going to be a 10-part series, so we're going to end it in the next episode that we do for this syndication school. 
If you haven't done so already, I highly recommend listening to parts one through eight. Again, those are available at syndicationschool.com. The episodes for this series can be seen as a standalone after you go through parts one through three. So at the very least, listen to parts one through three where you learned the top 10 asset management duties. That is the 10 things that you need to do in order to execute the business plan successfully after you've closed and before you sell. So that's parts one through three. And then in parts four through eight, we went into more details on those 10 asset management duties. So in part four, we discussed in more detail how to maintain the economic occupancy. That is the rate of paying residents. So we went over 19 different ways to market your rental listings and make sure that you are attracting the right residents to your property. Part five and six are all about the property management company. So in part five, we talked about some tips on how to effectively manage property management company because... In reality, one of the main duties of the asset manager is to manage the property management company who's actually at the property on a daily basis. And then in part six, we talked about what happens if you've determined that your property management company is not doing what they're supposed to be doing and what they're supposed to be doing. We discussed in that episode as well. And if that happens and you need to fire them, how to go about doing that so that the transition from the old management company to the new management company is as smooth as possible. And then in part seven and eight, we focused even more on how to maintain that economic occupancy because at the end of the day, the economic occupancy is going to determine how much money you can distribute to your investors. So in part seven, we talked about how you can attract high quality residents to your apartment community. And then in part eight, we talked about some resident appreciation ideas for how you can actually retain these high quality residents once you've attracted them and gotten them into the actual building. In this episode, part nine, we're going to go over some questions that you might have about distributing the money to your investors. So we're going to go over eight different questions that you might have or eight frequently asked questions that we receive about the logistics and how to go about distributing your money to your investors. And for the purposes of this episode, we're going to assume that the structure you have with your passive investors is a preferred return and then a profit split. So we're going to assume that you have an 8% preferred return. And then after that, the remaining profits are split 70-30. 70% of the profits go to the limited partners or the investors. 30% go to you, the GP. Just because I'm going to use some examples and some numbers and I don't want to have to give a million different calculations. We're going to assume 8% preferred return, 70-30 split. Now, we're not going to talk about how to structure the actual partnership. So why we've selected this 8% 70-30. That's in a previous episode when we talked about creating our team, attracting investors, setting up the compensation structure. And at this point in the process, your past investors have already agreed to the compensation structure because they've invested their money in the deal. The deal is closed and now they are getting their distribution. So here are some things you should think about or questions you might have about how to actually go about distributing the money to your investors. Again, these are eight questions. Number one is how do you know if you can make a distribution? So first, you have to know where the distributions come from. And the distributions come out of the cash flow. And the cash flow is calculated by essentially all of the income minus all of the operating expenses. So things like maintenance and repairs, payroll costs, paying the property management company, taxes, insurance, etc. We talked about that during the underwriting section. And then the debt service as well as taken out of the income. That's the monthly payment to your lender. 
or the loan to service the debt. And that cash flow number should be calculated for you automatically on your profit and loss statement that is provided to you by your management company. And then below that, they might have some non-operating expenses like any interest that's accrued, any asset management fees that are paid out, any lender reserves that are saved, things like that. So that cash flow is what the distributions come out of. So in order to calculate how much money you need to distribute, you need to know how much money was invested in the deal. So that initial preferred return is what the investors receive first. And so let's say, for example, you've got a limited partner who invests $100,000 into the deal. 8% preferred return is $8,000 per year. And then depending on your frequency of distributions, that could be $666.67 per month, or that could be two grand every single quarter, or they could be a lump sum of eight grand per year. So knowing whether or not you can make a distribution actually depends on the frequency. Because just because you would have, in this example, $8,000 in cash flow cumulatively for the entire year, but maybe it increases gradually throughout the year. So maybe the first six months is below 8% and then the next six months is above 8%. So if you're doing annual, great. If you're not, you're doing monthly, then you might run into an issue where you can't distribute the full 8%, obviously prorated, so 8% divided by 12 months each month. So let's say you've got 10 investors who all invested $100,000. That's a million dollar investment. That means that you need to distribute at the 8% preferred return, $80,000 a year. So that's a million dollars times 8% equals $80,000. The same logic applies as I mentioned before about the monthly versus quarterly versus annually. Now, let's say that the property cash flow is 80 grand, 80 grand divided by 12 each month, and you're doing monthly distributions, then you can distribute the, then you know, yes, I know I can distribute the 8% to my investors. Now, let's say that it does more than $80,000 that year, then you distribute your 8%, and then you can distribute the additional profits based off of whatever the profit split is. Now, what happens if it cash flows below 80 grand? Let's say it cash flows $60,000. Then you can only distribute $60,000 because that's all you have. The investors technically didn't hit the preferred return, so at that point, it either rolls over to the next year or it rolls over to the sale, depending on how it was outlined in the PPM. And you can't make that distribution. So again, the question is, how do I know if I can make the distribution? That was a long way of saying, whatever the initial investment was, multiply that by your preferred return. That's how much money the property needs to cash flow for that year. If it does, the answer is yes, I can. If it doesn't, the answer is no, I can't. Number two, what happens if I cannot make a distribution? So I guess I kind of already answered this. So following the example from before, if you need to cash flow $80,000 to hit the distribution number, but you only cash flowed $60,000, then that gap of 20 grand can either roll over into the next year or it can roll over at the closing. So when you close on the property, assuming you have this catch up provision in your PPM, however that's outlined, if it's at closing, then once you pay off the debt, you pay all the closing costs, whatever that lump sum profit is before it gets split between you and the investors, you have to pay that preferred return. And then after that, those remaining profits will get split. But again, the process is whatever you have outlined in the operating agreement, the PPM with your investors. So something you need to think about before you close on the deal and figure out, okay, if we cannot hit a distribution, what do we do? Is it a catch a provision? Do we just never pay it out? What are we going to do? Number three, how do I calculate the distributions? So I've already mentioned this as well. It is based off of the preferred return that you offer to your investors and their initial investment amount. 
So you take the initial investment amount and you multiply it by whatever the preferred return is, and that's the annual return that they get. So if you're doing quarterly distributions, you divide that number by four and distribute that quarterly. So $80,000, that'd be 20 grand per quarter. If you're doing monthly, then it'd be $80,000 divided by 12, which is the $6,666.67 number. And then obviously, if you got 10 investors, you divide that by 10, and each of those 10 investors gets their chunk. So it's based off of how much money that they actually invested times the preferred return, and that's the annual distribution they get. Number four is when do I pay out extra distributions? So they mentioned, obviously you've got the preferred return of 8%, but what happens if the deal cash flow is 10%? What happens at an extra 2%? And the answer is you don't just get it. It's based off of the compensation structure. So in this example that we talked about, the compensation structure, the profit split is 70-30. So of that 2%, the passive investors get 70% and then you get 30%. Now logistically, what Joe does for the first 12 months of the deal so month one through 12, he'll just distribute the 8% prorated. So each month they'll get 8% divided by 12 multiplied by their investment. So $100,000 investment, that's $666.67 per month. And then at the end of a full 12 month of ownership, they will evaluate the profit and loss statement as well as their bank statements, see how much their cash balance, things like that, and see how much money they cash flowed above that 8%. And then whatever that is, the investors will get 70% of that or how you structured the deal. So let's say, for example, you have 10 investors who invested $100,000 each at an 8% preferred return and the property cash flowed $100,000 year one. So that's 10%. So you distribute the 8% each month. At the end, you say, okay, we've got $20,000 remaining. That means that each investor will get... 70% of that $20,000. So since you have 10 investors, each of those investors will get $1,400 each. That's calculated by $100,000 cash flow minus the $80,000 you've already distributed, which is 20 grand. And then 20 grand multiplied by 70%, which is their portion of the profit split, is $14,000. If you have 10 investors, so $14,000 divided by 10 equals $1,400. And then for your investors, this would actually equal a 9.4% return for year one because they got the eight grand plus a 1400. That's $9,400 divided by their initial investment of $100,000, which is 9.4%. So you can tell your investors, hey, we projected 8% for year one, but we're actually able to distribute 9.4% and you're going to get an extra 1400 bucks for your first distribution of the year two. Question number five, who sends out these distributions? We've already talked about this before on parts one through three when we talked about the asset management duties, as well as parts five where we talked about how to manage your property management company. And the answer is ideally your property management company is the party responsible for sending out these monthly distributions or quarterly distributions or annual distributions. Obviously you tell them, hey, this is how much I want you to distribute, but logistically they're the ones that are actually sending out the checks and sending out the direct deposits to your investors. So you to make sure that you have set expectations with your property management company about these distributions before you've closed on the deal. So let them know, hey, we want to send out distributions via check or direct deposit on a monthly basis. It should be this much, but each month we'll confirm that with you. And at the end of 12 months of ownership, we want to reevaluate the performance and see, I want you to let us know how much money we can distribute extra. And then that'll be distributed the same way as the regular distribution. So direct deposit or check in the mail. 
Question number six, when do I send out the first distribution? So generally, Joe sends out the first distribution at the end of the third month of ownership, and it will cover the time that the property was owned during the first month and the second month. So as an example, let's say that the property was closed on January 15th, then the first distribution will be sent at the end of the third month, which is going to be March, and it will cover the time that the property was owned from January 15th to February 28th. So it'll be a full month plus a half a month. And then after that, each distribution will cover one month fully, and then it will be sent at the end of the following month. So the distribution that covers the month of March we sent by the end of April. That just gives your property management company time to send out the distributions, make sure the money is there. So you don't want to send out March distribution at the end of March because you might not have collected all the money. You might have paid all of your bills until maybe mid-April. So you make sure all of your ducks are in a row before you send out those distributions. And then, of course, make sure that when you're setting expectations with your investors, they know that the first distribution is going to be a little bit larger just because it's covering multiple months of ownership. Second to last question, number seven, is how do I send the distribution? I've kind of already mentioned this, but the two main ways to send distributions are one, direct deposit, or two, check in the mail. You can either just send them via direct deposit, you can either send them just through the mail, or you can do a combination of both and let your investors pick an option. But as I said before, make sure that your property management company is capable of doing whatever method your investors want or whatever method you decide on. So if they, for some reason, don't want to send out checks, then you can't offer checks to your investors. For some reason, they don't want to do direct deposits, then you can't offer direct deposits to your investors. The last thing you want to do is have them fill out a direct deposit sheet. You tell them that they're going to get their first distribution by the end of March, for example, and then when the time comes, your property management company says, hey, by the way, we can't send out direct deposit. We can only do check in the mail. Because then you got to go back to your investors, let them know why they can't get direct deposit, which makes you look bad, makes everyone look bad. So make sure that you know exactly how your management company can send these distributions before you set that up with your investors. And then lastly, question number eight, which might be the most important question to you, I don't know, but it is when do you actually get paid? So depending on how you structured the deal with your investors, you might get, say, an acquisition fee, which you would be paid at closing. You might have some other fee that you charge for putting the deal together and you collect all those fees at closing. So think of it as similar to like the broker's commission. So they get their check at closing, you get your check at closing. From an ongoing distribution perspective, you might get paid a asset management fee each month or each quarter, depending on, again, how you decide to set up these distributions with your investors. If you have an asset management fee, that's considered a non-operating expense. So what Joe does is he puts that in second position to the preferred return, which means that if the investors don't get their preferred return, then Joe doesn't get his asset management fee, which is a little bit extra alignment of interests with the investors. They say, hey, I'm not getting paid unless we get paid. So I'd rather invest with someone like that than someone who takes their money first and then tells me that they can't pay me because they took 2% out of the deal already for themselves. So whatever that percentage is, You want to collect that after you've sent out the preferred return, if that's what you want to do, and if you want to have that alignment of interest with your investors. The other way you'll get paid on an ongoing basis is if you are able to exceed that preferred return. Again, you can do this on a monthly basis, or you can do it whenever you calculate the extra distribution you can send to your investors. So going back to our previous example of the preferred return being 8%, so you owe your investors eighty grand per year, but the property cash flow is $100,000. So 
So $14,000 of that extra 20 grand, which is 70%, goes to your investors. The $6,000, which is the 30%, go to you. So you either collect that each month, each quarter, or you can collect that once you send out that $14,000 to your investors. And of course, you'll get paid at closing based off of that profit split as well. So if there's a million dollars of sales proceeds after paying everything off, the investors get 70% of that, which is $700,000, and then you, the GP, gets $300,000. So those are some of the questions that you might have about investor distribution, some things we haven't exactly talked about yet, kind of going into the details of the logistics behind how you actually calculate the distributions, how you send them out, what happens if you can't hit them, what happens if you exceed your cash flow amount, how do you approach that, and so we hit on all of those in this episode. If you have any other questions about distributions, feel free to email me at theo at joefairless.com and I'll be happy to answer those for you or make them a topic of a future syndication school series. Now, this concludes part nine. I'm really excited because tomorrow is going to be part 10 or the next syndication school episode is going to be part 10 and that will be the conclusion of the second to last step of the syndication process, which is the asset managing a newly acquired apartment syndication deal. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about how to secure a supplemental loan. So we'll talk about what that is and how to do that tomorrow. And the next week is going to be the start of the last series. And in fact, it's probably just going to be a two-part series, which is how to sell your apartment community at the end of the business plan. And then that will conclude the entire apartment syndication cycle. At that point, we will just kind of go back over the entire cycle and focus in more detail on certain aspects of the process. But by the end of next week, you should have an entire overview of the entire apartment syndication process from start to finish. And it should be about, I think it's 21 series that are between two episodes and this one's the longest, so 10 episodes. So hundreds of hours of, of content that teaches you the how-tos of apartment syndications at least 21 free documents as well. And all those are available at syndicationschool.com. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you tomorrow. If you own a rental property, TransUnion Smart Move can help you identify the right renter from the start so you can avoid the problems of non-payment or evictions. Don't put yourself at risk. Go to tenantscreening.com, create a free account, enter the code FAIRLESS at checkout for 25% off your next screening. With TransUnion Smart Move, you'll get great reports, great convenience, great tenants. What if you could earn 10000 per month net cash flow for life? Now you can at the Residential Assisted Living Academy. Gene Corino teaches you how to take a single family house and turn it into a cash flow machine. Visit ralacademy.com to learn more.